I entered the bedroom to find Carla with a self-satisfied grin on her face and a small baggie dangling from between two fingers. I found something. I took it from her and stared at the contents. Where'd you find it? I checked all of her purses, found this one way in the back of the closet. It contained a thumb drive and a scrap of paper with what looked like a phone number written on it. I stuffed it into my pocket. We'll check it back at the office. I peeked in the closet. Six pairs of scrubs folded on the top shelf, probably what she worked in. They sold them everywhere. It made sense. Comfortable clothing for cleaning, loose and breathable. Three pairs of sensible shoes on the floor, one pair of sneakers, and two pairs of sandals, and four purses lined up to the left of them against the closet wall. No winter clothes in sight, no boots. Obviously, she hadn't planned on staying here long, or she had her winter stuff somewhere else. Storage, maybe. But someone from the Dakotas would have brought their winter stuff to Michigan, unless they left in a hurry, or didn't plan to stay long. Wait, that's it? Where's my, you done good, Carla, great job, kid, for all of my effort? You done good, Carla, great job, kid. Carla scowled. When I solve this case, I expect more enthusiasm, Morneau. And a new desk chair. Tell you what, Carla, I have an errand to run. You think you can solve this case? I dug the baggie out of my pocket. When she grabbed for it, I held it out of her reach. On two conditions. First, you don't act on anything you find. Not until you approve it with me. You take one step without checking with me, you're fired. I mean it, Carla. Okay, done. Second, use the office computer. Make copies of everything you find out about what's on this hard drive and the phone number. Then type it up and email it to me tonight. I assume you're going to jump right on this. Carla's eyes narrowed. As soon as I drop you off wherever you plan on getting your lush on tonight, that way you'll have to call me when you need a ride home. I hadn't planned on getting my lush on this evening, but I appreciate the concern. My concern isn't for you, Morneau. My concern is for whoever you might plow into or over or slam into when you attempt to drive home. Frankly, I'd rather not have to testify in a vehicular manslaughter trial. Carla jumped up and grabbed the baggie from my hand, shoving it down the front of her blouse. I don't drink and drive, I said firmly. Mm Mm-hmm. That day I found you in the park, you might have. I'll drop you off at the office. Your car is there so you can get home when you're done. And I don't drink and drive. I'd have slept it off in the back seat had you not been following me. But since I knew you were, it's a moot point. Hmm. So you were relying on me. Carla, don't you have some work to do? I checked my watch. 6.22. Carla turned on her heel and headed back toward the basement. You'll call me if you're out and you need a ride though, right? I followed her through the basement and stood outside on the cement steps, closing the door firmly behind us, leaving it unlocked in case we needed to return. If I go anywhere after I get my errand done, it'll be the meanwhile. The bartender won't let me drive home drunk. Since when? Most bartenders I know will just Know a lot of bartenders, do you? I asked as I headed through the side yard and onto the sidewalk. 
purposely taking long strides to keep a few paces ahead of her. Carla hurried to keep up with me. He's my friend from way back. That's why I drink there, okay? Any more holes you want to poke in me, or are we done? I unlocked the sedan and opened the passenger door for her. Really? Because all the times we've been there, I've never seen the two of you, Paul. I slammed the door, cutting off her last word. I got into the car and slid the key into the ignition. That's because we don't do a whole lot of talking in the bar. It's best if his customers don't know we're friends, all right? He gets to know people, hears things. Sometimes those things help me in my line of work. Carla nodded. Yeah, that makes sense, but why'd you never tell me that? Is that what we're doing now? Sharing things about our personal lives? She stiffened. You have my email. Send the file when you get through. And forward all the tax stuff on Deckard. I want to look it all over tonight, since I never get a chance to see anything at the office anymore, what with my overbearing assistant doing all the paperwork. Thanks, Marno. I don't know what you're thanking me for. The guilt was already burbling in my gut. I'm thanking you for giving me a chance. We both knew that wasn't what she was thanking me for. I hadn't pressed her about the personal stuff. Hadn't asked any specific questions. But that didn't mean I wasn't on the hunt for some answers. She just didn't know it. I pulled up to the front door of the office and watched her enter and lock it behind her before I drove away. A lot of planning had led to what I was about to do, and I felt no less guilty about it than when I'd run the background check on her. A week ago, when I'd snagged the key ring from her purse while she was busy on the phone and taken it into the office bathroom to make a wax imprint, I hadn't been proud of myself. Nor was I particularly proud of myself when I took the wax impression to an old contact who dabbled in all manner of minor, but still less than legal undertakings, to have a copy made. And I was certainly not feeling any measure of pride as I pulled into the driveway of Carla's modest bungalow. She lived in a part of the Detroit hood known as Bangladesh, due to the high volume of Bangladeshi immigrants. Over the past few years, the area had attracted a small but growing handful of artsy types, bent on making the community better. One house, one street, one community at a time. It was a better area than some. There were parts of Detroit that were like entering a war zone. Neighborhoods of forgotten people living amid dilapidated buildings, both busy with the slow work of folding in on themselves. The empty structures now served as crack dens and hideouts for all manner of crimes most people would rather not contemplate. Rape, child abduction, trafficking. The only growth industry in these areas involved gangs of armed scavengers looting scrap metal from the remains. Now, here I was, entering her bungalow, prepared to do some scavenging of my own. The information I'd been able to cobble together regarding her past left little to be desired. There wasn't enough. Not forty-something years worth. It was like Carla Danning had sprouted up from between a crack in the cement less than a year ago and begun life as a fully formed adult. As someone who spends a good deal of his time foraging public, 
and not-so-public records for information. I knew Carla was hiding something, and I was going to find out what that something was. I did a cursory check of Carla's bungalow and found little. It was a one-bedroom, one-bath, with an attached single-car garage. A very manageable affair. A pretty little oasis on a drab street, decorated with red curtains and red throw pillows on the light brown couch. She was a tidy housekeeper, had a large DVD collection, no family pictures, and her kitchen suggested she was a microwave dinner kind of gal. The door leading to the garage was in the kitchen. I opened it and flipped on the light. The space was almost empty, save for a washer and dryer. Barely enough room to walk around if a car was parked inside. By the looks of the cement floor, she rarely parked her car there. No oil stains or other marks showing regular use. Back inside, I checked the small computer desk in the living room. A stack of bills addressed to Carla Danning. A laptop, I learned, was password protected. And a few bottles of nail polish lined up like little soldiers. But no old papers. Nothing that gave me any clues about her past. Her room was the same. It was all very normal. I found one small thing in the bathroom, but wasn't even sure it was anything at all. Red hair color under the sink, so she wasn't a natural redhead. I found it more disappointing than evidentiary. On my way back through the house, I stopped to look at a bookshelf full of cozy mysteries and detective novels, including a paperback copy of every book I'd written. I pulled out the first in the Detective Bellamy series, Death Wears a Paisley Tie, and turned it over, marveling at how young I looked in the picture. Ten years. It had to be about that many since I published the first one. A lifetime ago. As I went to slide the book back onto the shelf, a card fell out. I returned the book to its space and picked up the small card. It was a business card for a daycare in Florida called Kids Play, with an address and a little picture of stick children in the corner. At the bottom, Lucy Rios and Bethany Keene, co-owner operators, followed by a phone number. When my cell phone rang, I pulled it out and checked the time, 6.59, then answered. Yeah? Okay, so don't get mad, but I'm on my way to John's house. You know that stoner on the cleaning crew? Carla, what did I tell you? An odd little cuckoo clock hanging on the wall above me began to chirp loudly. Eight times. I know, I know, but I... Are you in my house right now? I was trying to come up with a reasonable response when she growled on the other end of the line. Stay where you are, I'll be right there. Less than ten minutes later, she threw the front door open and tromped up to me as I sat on the couch, leafing through a copy of O Magazine. She snatched it out of my hands and swatted me in the face with it before tossing it back on the coffee table. So, you can explain this flagrant violation of my privacy? She was pissed. Spittle flying out of her mouth. Pissed. Angry pink flowers of color appeared on her cheeks. Orange flecks of hot flame flicked around her irises. Her eyes were like a mood ring. You gonna tell me why Carla Danning has just enough background in her history to cover a span of about 
six months, or why she suddenly popped into my life right around that time and began following me despite multiple restraining orders, which were all violated, might I remind you, or why Carla Danning has the nerve to be purposely obtuse regarding my privacy, but when the sanctity of her personal space is violated, suddenly it's a problem. My cell phone rang. Oh, no, you don't. Carla reached for the phone, but landed in my lap when I jerked it out of her reach. I looked at the LED screen, then struggled to get out from under her. What? What is it? Carla asked, probably off my concerned expression. Morgue, I said, then flipped the cell phone open. Yeah. Twenty minutes later, we stood in the hallway of the morgue, not looking at each other. You can wait out here. I tried to make it sound like an order. I'm going in. Carla stared straight ahead at the door with morgue printed in black letters on the frosted glass. I didn't have time to dissuade her. The Wayne County Medical Examiner opened the door and stuck his head out, ushering us inside. The body was on a silver metal slab in the center of the room. Three other metal gurneys visible. A sink and workstation was on one wall, an industrial freezer on another, and row upon row of body drawers lined the third. He was found early this morning, multiple abrasions and lacerations to the arms and back of the head. When the M.E. lifted the sheet, I shook my head. He laid the sheet back down, leaving only the face and neck visible, except for one bloodied hand peeking out from beneath, lying on the cold metallic surface. Cops picked him up at Chain and Canfield Streets. They took his bedroll and shoes, whatever else he had on him. He had your business card and a comb in his pocket. That's it for personal effects. When Carla looked up at me questioningly, I said, I gave it to him after lunch that day. Told him to call me if he needed anything. You know his name? The M.E. asked. Just his first name, Barney, I said, watching Carla chew on her bottom lip. Could we have a minute? I asked the M.E., who nodded briskly and left us alone with the body. Barney, how could this have happened? He was a wino, Carla. She stared at me, incredulous. So are you, Morneau. No, I'm a drunk. Which isn't to say I'm a better person. In fact, one could argue that old Barney was the salt of the earth, the best of us. But the definition of wino includes an inference that implies homelessness, which further implies a set of ongoing circumstances that tend to diminish life expectancy. Words have meaning, specific meaning. That's all I meant, Carla. I wasn't judging. Carla's chin trembled as she stared down at the lifeless man. I know you weren't, she said, winding her fingers around Barney's thumb like a little girl might do with her father, a large calloused weather-beaten thumb engulfed in a tiny hand. My heart almost broke with it, how the gesture was steeped in a visceral sense of lost innocence. I had to turn away, heard her take a deep, ragged breath behind me. Neither was I when I... I don't judge you, Morneau. 
I turned back around and put a hand on her shoulder. I know. Do you? Really? Carla, there's lots of things I don't know about you, but that's not one of them. Back in the car, the image of Barney's body, coupled with our mutual invasions of each other's privacy, hung between us, as the air conditioner whirred vainly, trying to overcome the summer humidity. My voice finally cut through the silence. Where were you headed when you called me? Oh, fuck. Pendergast. Carla fished her notebook out of her purse. We have to go to his place, Morneau. That phone number with the hard drive? It was to the Detroit Free Press office, a reporter. Our conversation didn't get too far, but it sounded like he knew something. He told me we needed to make sure John didn't end up like Crystal Bell. Said we should go over to see him first and then call him back. I sighed, took the notepad from her, read the address, and then made a U-turn in the middle of the road. A few minutes later, we were parked in front of a decaying public housing unit. Six floors of desperation in the center of Detroit's city proper. As we took the stairs to the third floor, Carla said, So there were pictures on the hard drive, three of them. It looked like some kind of cleaning crew. Not the kind that Crystal did, though. They were cleaning outside, near a river. From what I could see, it was mostly Hispanic workers. But there wasn't much in the photos other than that. I'll check them out later. You email me the file? I asked. Carla nodded as we reached apartment 314. I knocked on the door and we waited a full three minutes between the, yeah, hang on, to the door being slowly opened. We were instantly assaulted by the commingled stench of marijuana and the sickeningly sweet smell of air freshener. John Pendergast? The young man eyed us suspiciously though it was a lazy suspicion at best. You cops? No, he's a private detective and I'm his secretary. We don't give a shit about the pot, John. In fact, we just came from viewing a dead body, so if you're willing to share, I could use a hit. John's mouth tugged into an ineffectual smile as Carla brushed her way inside. He closed the door and moved to sit on a threadbare recliner, motioning to a pockmarked coffee table and a roach in the ashtray. I sat down and watched Carla pick it up and put a hand out, waiting for John to locate a lighter. It took him longer than it should have to realize it was in his hand. Finally, he coughed out a stoned chuckle and handed it to her. Carla lit the roach and took a hit, squinting as the smoke trailed up into her eyes. She held it in, pointing to John and talking as she kept the air in her lungs. Well, you gonna question him or just sit there and... <coughs> She blew the smoke out and embarked on a tidy little coughing jag that she only got under control after she went to the kitchen, filled a glass with water, and consumed it. When she came back into the living room, I'd already started talking to the kid. Dead? Seriously? Jesus H. Fuck! John threw his head back and closed his eyes, but opened them almost instantly. What happened? Cops aren't sure yet. Just found her this morning. I assume they'll be around to talk to you, so you might want to do a little cleaning. I made a sweeping motion over the drug paraphernalia on the table. He nodded, but seemed too stunned to care. Wow, Crystal, man, she was all right. Cool kid. I mean, she was older than me, but she was kind of like a kid. You know she was Amish, right? I mean, her family is. That's where she came from. I think she said a cousin helped her get out or something. 
John scratched his leg as he shook his head. I made a mental note to get back with a cousin who, like Crystal, had left the Amish lifestyle some years back. I hadn't contacted the family because the police do the death notifications, and I wanted to give them time before I followed up regarding my end of the investigation. Tell me why she would have had the number to the Detroit Free Press and a hard drive with pictures of some kind of cleanup crew hidden in her closet. John's eyes widened. Oh man, I told her to be careful. I never should have mentioned the Kalamazoo thing. I was down there working with the crew, me and Stan. Good pay, but the work sucks. It's fucking hot. Oil everywhere. In the grass. In the mud. It's foobar for sure. They ain't gonna get that shit out of there. Who they kidding? Carla took another toke and held it in, putting the roach back in the ashtray. You need to back up, Sparky. <sighs> Who sent you to Kalamazoo to work? Dick. He's always got extra work if we need it, but this was a big one. Eight hundred bucks a week. Stan knew most of the details. I rode down with him once. They got a bunch of Mexicans down there busting their humps. Anyway, Deck said if we wanted some extra money, good money, he could get us on a day crew for a few months. But shit, we were working like 14, 15 hours a day. It was brutal, man. I only stayed one week. Hitchhiked back. Fuck that. Life's too short, man. Carla bent down and leaned in, her face inches from John's. Focus, John. We need details. Why the newspaper phone number with the hard drive? Who took the pictures? I don't know, man. Crystal had the week off work. Told Dex she needed some personal time. But Jesus, what if she snuck down there and took pictures? We were talking about it one night at work, me and her. I mentioned the Mexicans. She was shocked when I told her how they worked longer hours than we did, got paid less, and how they got paid every other week when we got paid weekly. She said it wasn't fair. But I never thought she'd do something like this. John tossed his head back and closed his eyes, rubbing them with the heels of his hands. Why the pictures? I asked. John opened his eyes and stared at me. Man, there's like a bazillion gallons of oil in the Kalamazoo River and a bunch of illegal immigrants cleaning that shit up. Nobody's covering it. You seen anything about it on TV? Some goddamn Canadian pipeline sprung a leak. From what I put together, they hired some Michigan company who hired Dex company to do the cleanup. He hires a bunch of cheap labor, sends us all down to try and fix that fuck all. But it was like in no way happening, man. John, how do you know they're illegals? I asked, immediately uncomfortable with where this line of questioning was taking us. Stan, man. Stan the man. John was suddenly overcome. His eyes filled with tears, yet he was angry. Stan the man. Deck's right-hand man. Stan knows everything, man. Deck was promising him his own crew if he got this taken care of. So he helped organize putting all those guys up in shitty hotels. Had him bust in from Texas. Jesus, what a ride that must have been. Anyway, Stan, he's working his way up Deck's corporate ladder. John snorted, wiping his eyes. Yeah, right. Corporate ladder. I think Deck's using his ass to do the dirty work. Must be something there because Deck doesn't do anything for free. He's an okay guy, but he's out for himself. You know what I mean? You know Mr. Deckard's in the hospital, right? What? Someone tried to off him too? John gripped the armrests of the recliner. No. Looks like he had a stroke. 
about a week ago, right about the time Crystal would have been. I stopped, confused. Haven't you been at work? Yeah, I've been working nights, but nobody told me shit, man. I just show up, do my job, and go home like everyone else. John looked at a clock hanging over a TV. Shit, I gotta get ready for work, man. With Stan gone, we're short too, and it's just me and Sally. We got three restaurants to do tonight. What do you mean when you say that Deck was promising Stan his own crew? Stan said the night cleaning crew was bullshit. He wanted something bigger. Deck has road work contracts, and Stan wanted to be a crew boss. You know, do the bids, organize shit, hire workers to do the labor, keep his hands clean. He can hump if he wants to, but he don't want to. He's got a busted knee and wanted something he didn't have to work so hard on. Hey, do you think Deck killed her? And then, you know, stroked out after, like from the guilt? It was possible. Maybe Deckard found out about Crystal nosing around in his business. But that theory only held if the timing was confirmed. I needed to check with the cops to see if they got any prints or evidence. John didn't give off the impression of a killer, that's for sure. If he was lying, he was pretty damn good at it, despite being high as a kite. I stood up. John, let me ask you this. Why would that reporter at the newspaper have told us to come check on you before you ended up like Crystal? What? John jumped up, suddenly paranoid, looking around the room. Carlo motioned for him to sit down. Okay, slow your roll, half-baked. Relax, John. Listen to me. I put a hand on the kid's shoulder and pushed him back into the recliner. You got somewhere to go till this all blows over? Why the fuck? Are you serious? I won't say anything, man. What do I care if a bunch of Mexicans want to work illegally? Live and let live, man. John stood up again and paced the living room. I had nothing to do with it, man. I swear, I don't have any idea what's going on. His voice had gone all squealy and girlish. John, does Deck have a partner? Someone who runs the business with him? No, just Deck. Stupid Deck, getting us all into stupid shit that you're telling me could get me killed. Damn, man. Get out of town for a while, John. I mean, tonight. Until we figure out who would have reason to want Crystal dead. We don't know if you're next on the list. 